Hello, and welcome to the Untitled Gen X podcast. A podcast hosted by two childhood best friends dedicated to the pop culture that raised us. I'm Kate, a writer, a midwife, a current day pop culture know-nothing, but nobody puts baby in a corner when it comes to the pop culture of my youth. And I'm Lori, a writer and pop culture lover who's still not over how my so-called life left us hanging. Today, we are bringing you another Christmas-themed podcast, and I am so excited to be talking with you today about my absolute favorite Christmas movie from my childhood, 1983's The Best Christmas Pageant Ever. Full disclosure, I have never seen or even heard about this ABC made-for-TV movie starring Loretta Swit and Feruza Balk. But at only 48 minutes long and available for free on YouTube, I was up for some wholesome Christmas family viewing. This was a fun one, Katie. It was a fun one, wasn't it? I loved this movie so much as a child. I know you did. And when you suggested it for an episode, I was like, you are the only person that has seen this eight of her life. (laughs) Number two, nobody's going to tune into this because they're going to be like, what? But now that I've seen it, I understand why your little, what, this was 83, why your little seven-year-old heart loved this so much. And it was a really wholesome, fun family watch. I hope that there's at least some people out there that are like, oh, I remember that. It was, they played it every year for a certain amount of time. Which is why I'm actually kind of surprised that I missed it altogether because it has, you know, obviously religious overtones to it. It is very seasonal and wholesome. It seems like something I would have looked forward to and that my family would have been really into. But yet this one escaped me. Yeah. I So this movie went through a very common theme of like childhood things that I was super into. Like, first of all, the movie and the play Annie, right? So Obviously. based around this kid who's like spunky, but independent and, you know, doesn't have parents around. The Boxcar Children. Did you ever read the Boxcar Children books? I remember it, it like in theory, but I don't remember details. Yeah, I loved that book series. It was like my summer tradition. We would go to the library. I would check out like as many as I was able to in Uh the series, you know, and then go back for the rest of them when I exchanged them. And so similar, like young kids without adult supervision. Those pesky adults get in the way of all the fun. Right. So, um, and so similarly, the Herdman clan in the best Christmas pageant ever also doesn't have adult supervision and they're spunky, but they're also. They're a little over the top. I was a very good child. I was very well behaved. I was the kid that like when somebody misbehaved in class, they had to sit next to me because I was so well behaved. Because you were leading by example. Right. No, but I get it. Like that whole sort of Ramona Quimbley of it all, that precocious, young, spunky spirited child that theme was really popular when we were young. And there was something about that that I think was really magnetic to us as children, because from a child's point of view, that was really attractive to see other kids, other characters saying and doing the things we wished we could say and do. Exactly. Like like my childhood was very much more like Feruza Balk's character, right? right? So seeing these other sort of spirited young people was just really fun. And then in the end, it has such a good message. So, so let's just like, let's get into it. Okay. Well, this premiered for ABC 
And it premiered on December 5th, 1983. It was actually based on a 1971 children's book of the same name written by Barbara Robinson. What's interesting is, is Barbara Robinson, the author, she first published the story in McCall's magazine before it was turned into a book. But this book is like a really big deal. It sold over 800,000 copies. This is far more popular than I ever knew. Did you read the book as a kid also? I don't think I did, which is really interesting because I lived in a very book-centric household. Mm -hmm. Like my mother really wanted me and my brother to have a love of books. For some reason, I'm surprised that I didn't know this was a book. I never stumbled across it as a book. It was also a play and I was very involved in community theater as a child. And it was Mm -hmm. never a production that was done anywhere that I was involved with. Uh, But apparently in certain parts of the country, it is done quite frequently, um, particularly for children's theater. I can see why, because it has a sizable cast and I think it applies to people of all ages. And just, it touches that, like really that Christmas spirit deep in our hearts, that the thing that we all want to hold on to so much near the holidays. And I just, feel like it was just so wholesome and wonderful. It's just joyful. It just brings back such good memories. And also as I was watching it, I was like, wow, I must have watched this a lot because I knew so many of the lines throughout the whole thing. So it was just really funny. It's funny to me that this was a movie that was televised every year. There's not actually a lot of trivia on it. Yeah. And the only trivia that I was able to really find, and it's, it's kind of funny, it's not great trivia, but is that the girl who played Alice. So Alice is like sort of the model child, right? She every year she plays Mary in the Christmas pageant. She knows all the lines. Right. And so, you know, and just like, like she has a line in there when they're telling the Christmas story and talking about Mary being pregnant. And she's like, I just don't think that they should say that Mary was pregnant. (laughs) Because it's so scandalous. Right. She was with child. Right. She was with child. But anyway, so the the person who plays her, her name is listed in the cast as Ocean Hellman. And I was like, well, I've never heard of her, but okay. Her real name is Crystal Ocean Supri Heavenly Blue Sky Hellman. Whoa. That is a name. You know her parents were hippies. Whoa. Wait, how many names is that? Is that six? seven because blue and sky are two different words. Okay. My husband has, (laughs) I totally thought of your husband. (laughs) He has five names and like, I have a hard time wrapping my brain around that seven names, seven names. And what's really funny is that there's a line in the Christmas pageant where they talk about like the angel, like declaring Jesus's true full name, which is very long. And I'm sorry, I don't know my Bible Uh well enough to say it here. And Imogene, who ends up getting the role of Mary in the cast says, he'll never get out of first grade with a name that long. (laughs) (laughs) Or Ocean. What's her name? Crystal Blue? Crystal Ocean of Ocean. All Majesty. What is her name? <laughs> Crystal Ocean Supri. I assume that's a family name somewhere. Supri. Heavenly Blue Sky Hellman. Like that is a name, man. Okay. So Faruza Balt, Faruza means turquoise in Farsi. And when she was born, her father looked at her and saw her crystal blue eyes, those amazing eyes, and exclaimed, Faruza. Yeah, it's funny. I did not realize until you told me after you had, because you watched this before I did, that she was 
in it. And I was like, what? I don't remember her being in it because the character that she plays is like this very like normal child of the eighties, which most of the characters she went on to play all were like a little bit quirky and interesting. My biggest memory of her, because I had never seen this movie as a child was when she played the main character in Return Return to to Oz. Oz. Yes. Freaking wheelers. That messed me up for just honestly the balance of my childhood. Yeah, we'll have to do a return to Oz oh, episode God. because it, that movie, I just remember like heads in yep. glass yep. cases in a hallway. It was really scary. It was really dark and really scary. And yeah. then she was also in The Crafts, that yep. 90s movie with Nev Campbell. Yeah. Uh, with the witches. And then she was also in uh, Almost Famous. She's one of the Band-Aids. Oh, she is. Mm-hmm. See? And, and I think the real draw of the film was Loretta Swit played right. Major Margaret uh, Hot Lips in yes. MASH. Right. Now that I've seen it, a timeless classic. It it's might so be good. one that I revisit every single year. I think because it's possible, I just, I don't know how you all missed this. It's a very, like, important Gen X film. But... Um, <laughs> says, says Kate. <laughs> <laughs> that is what I say, and so shall it be. The other half of this podcast missed it entirely. So if y'all <laughs> have never heard of it, I totally am with you. So I'm worried that that no one knows what we're talking about. And I do highly recommend that this holiday season, you go and watch it because it's very enjoyable. But I feel like we should recap what the story is about. Let's do it. So to get people excited so they know why this is 48 minutes worth investing your time. And I'm glad that you had that experience because to me, it was nostalgic and it was Katie, I did not have high hopes. Can we be really (laughs) honest? You're talking about a movie that's like this weird, obscure movie, seemingly based on a popular children's story, which I had also never heard of. (laughs) And it's only available on YouTube, which is suspect. I mean, you can buy it on DVD, but it's fun. And so let's get into it. Yes. We open on Mrs. Armstrong in a classroom setting. This is presumably Sunday school, yes? It's Sunday school, Okay. And she's asking the Sunday school class, what are you thankful for about Sunday school? Right. And little Charlie says he's thankful for Sunday school because the Herdmans aren't there. We're like, we're the Herdmans. What are you talking about? We end up panning to Charlie at home with his family and their and the mother, Grace, played by Loretta Swit. They're talking and we learn that Leroy Herdman was a bad kid who beat up poor Charlie last year. Yes. Beth Faruza Balk not to be confused with Baruka Salt. She looks directly into the camera and tells us the Herdmans are the worst kids. They lie, they steal, they talk dirty, they hit little kids, they smoke cigars, even the girls, and they use the Lord's name in vain. They are the worst kids in school. So we find out these Herdman kids, they are like a feral bunch. They live above a garage And they're always trying to, like, kill the neighborhood cats with the garage door. Right. They just open it and close it. Open it and close it. (laughs) They're, like, doing so many naughty things. Their dad, I guess, split aboard a railway train. Like, what what year are we... Well, that's, that's an interesting thing. So um, I'm going to jump a little bit. When they they give the list of the kids' names, it's Leroy, Ollie, Gladys, Claude, 
Imogene and Ralph. And like these kids, like they really look like depression era children. For like, sure. Like there's suspenders and like, like they're wearing paper boy caps. Yeah. And high water pants and they're scruffy and dirty. They have dirty faces. They have holes in their clothes, all like earth tones. Like, yes, that's exactly right. right. And so I thought maybe I was like, was this book originally written in that era? But no. So it's it's sort of inexplicable why these children are like so outdated compared to their classmates. So and, and like the names, it's just sort of an interesting thing. Like it was yeah. a, like an anachronism in some weird way, or maybe that's not the right word, but yeah. So their dad split aboard aboard like a rail, railway train and the mom works a lot. So these kids are unsupervised a lot. And, and there's an interesting thing that Beth says when she's talking to the camera and she says like, basically like the kids were so crazy that the dad split and she says, and nobody blamed him. And then she talks about the mom working double shifts at the shoe factory. So she's not around to take care of the kids. And she's like, and nobody blamed her either. So it's the idea that like, these kids were just so like unruly that like none of the adults wanted to be around them, which was actually really sad. It was really sad because these (laughs) kids were just largely on their own. And they say like the kids were alone a lot. And I did make a note like, okay, but weren't we all in the 1980s alone? Well, and so that's what I was like, because at one point. Like at least they had each other. They did have each other. (laughs) And at one point the welfare worker comes to their house and she like yells up to the window and says, or she's like, I need to talk to your mother. And they say, she's not here. And she's like, well, tell her to call me. And she's like, the phone doesn't work. And she slams the window. And I was like, how was that not a red flag to the welfare worker that these kids are all home alone? But then I was like, we were all home alone in the 80s. It, it, <laughs> like, it is true. This was not necessarily cause for concern. Um, so yeah, so we get this picture of like what these kids' lives are like. Right. But, you know, we really kind of should have been concerned because they stole a chemistry set from the hardware store. I don't know if hardware stores that sell chemistry sets, but apparently they do. And these kids stole one and they burned down like a neighbor's like tool shed just because they could like for funsies. They didn't just burn it down. They blew it up. They blew it up. It was it was a science experiment gone awry. They managed to know how to do that, which is impressive. I certainly did not know how to do that at that age. <laughs> Beth tells us they can't even, you know, send these kids to jail because if they did, they'd burn down the jail. Like these kids <laughs> are so bad that the jail doesn't even want them. Right, right. So they've set the stage for the Herdmans. Yes, they are a wild, unruly bunch. So suddenly, Mrs. Armstrong, the Sunday school teacher that's always in charge of the Christmas pageant, every single year, it's the thing she does, she gets hurt. I didn't really pay attention as to how. Oh, it's so great. Oh, tell me. She gets tangled in the very long phone cord that she has, which is so Who among us has not tripped over a telephone cord? So, right, that, like, our kitchen phone had, like, the special really long phone cord that so that you could be on like the phone. That freaking 60 feet long. Yep. And they would get all tangled up. And at yep. some point, you could never, like, disentangle yes. it from each other. Like, you get mad about your wired earbuds. This was, like, a thousand times worse. Right. And there was no cordless phones. Like, so if you wanted to talk on the phone and accomplish anything in your life. And we all had that, like, weird crook neck thing where you yes. could, like, hold the phone against your neck. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So it was, like, just, like, such an 80s thing that she 
uh, got tangled up in her long phone cord. But I did see her getting wheeled out of what looked like her mansion. Right. Her very nice house. Yes. And she's shouting orders at everyone like about the Christmas pageant. And uh, every and other thing things, that she does. Yes. Like I have socks in the dryer and I have this for dinner. And she's a control freak. And now she is laid up. And now people are going to have to step in. Right. So Mrs. Armstrong can no longer direct the annual Christmas pageant. And like none of the other mothers want the job. Everyone's like, I'm busy. I have people coming. I can't do it. I can't do it. And what was funny is they're panning to all these women on the phone talking. Of course, not a single dad is in this phone chain about it. It was the 80s. It was the 80s. (laughs) But they all had a lot of interior wood paneling in their houses. And I was like, so did I. We had It was the 80s. (laughs) It was really like, okay, remember Fiona Apple's criminal video from the 90s? Kind of. Okay. I mean, I remember the song. I don't know that I remember the video, except her looking like very angsty in the camera. Angsty and slash almost like 70s, almost porn era, but they're in like somebody's basement and there's wood paneling everywhere. We had that everywhere in my house. So much wood paneling, it took me back. To be fair, the wood paneling in your house was way nicer than most wood paneling of the 80s. Like it was real wood. Yeah, you could get a splinter. Yeah. Versus like whatever the other wood paneling is made out of (laughs) that. There are no splinters to be had in most of the paneling. (laughs) But Grace, the mom, Loretta Sweat, decides to take over the job of running the Christmas pageant. And Mrs. Armstrong tells her all the rules about it and that she has to give every kid a chance to be in the show. Right. But that Alice will be married. Let everybody think that they have a chance, but like it's going to Alice. (laughs) With the seven names. Yes, Alice played by Ocean, many named Hellman. Charlie at dinner is taking like a lot of food and his dad is like, why are you eating so much? And Charlie's like, Leroy Herdman stole my lunch. And his dad is like, why'd you let him do that to you? Which that's a really, that's a parents of the eighties response. If ever there was one. Yeah. Because I feel like parents today would be like, what? I'm going to talk to their parents. Yeah, and like, they'd be yeah. all over it. And the school. And the, <laughs> and the everybody. Yeah. So we cut to school and they're in the school gym. Charlie's playing. They're playing a really awkward game of basketball. That was yeah, the most- and like the PE clothes that like only <laughs> the 80s and early 90s brought you, which are like the super short shorts. Like, wh- why? Oh, why did they make children wear shorts. those? And Charlie goes over to get his lunch and he sees Leroy there and he says, did you take my lunch again? And Leroy's basically like, yeah, I took the two brownies out of your lunchbox. Like who gets two brownies in their lunchbox? Right. I want Grace to pack my lunchbox. I know. I did not get brownies in my lunchbox. Yeah. So Charlie ends up lying to Leroy and he tells him. I don't mind that you took my brownies. That's fine. I get them every week at church. The reverend gives us so much dessert. I don't need these brownies in my lunchbox. So the next Sunday, we see all the Herdman kids at church and they're just there for dessert. Right. They're obviously not there to be inspired by the spirit of church, but they're (laughs) there. They're there. They show up. Oh, and they take all the money from the collection plates. (laughs) Yes. So Beth tells us that those kids were so poorly behaved in church. They did, Katie. They took money from collections. They scribbled in the Bibles and they left gum on the pews. 
they were bad kids. They were bad kids. Yeah. There is a missed opportunity here. I didn't make a note about it, but outside of the church, one of the Herdman kids was asking a question kind of about... Oh, because they talk about the pageant in church and they talk about how all yes. the kids who want to be involved should like show up to Sunday school to talk about it. And so Imogene, who sort of becomes like the Herdman child that we learn the most about, her ears kind of perk up when she hears about this Christmas pageant and Mary. And so she she goes after Alice and Beth who are walking out of church and is like, wait, like what, like what's going on? What's about this Christmas pageant? Who's Mary? Like going to Christian school and stuff, it was always sort of ingrained in us that when there were opportunities to tell people the good word about Jesus, that we would take those opportunities and we would talk to our peers about those things. And it was an opportunity for both of those girls to do that. And they didn't, which I found kind of interesting. So having been raised Catholic, that same concept is not quite so strong in the Catholic church, the idea of like going out and sharing the good news of the Lord. And so it didn't strike me as unusual watching it because that, you know, uh, but, but you do make a good point. We find ourselves at the first pageant planning meeting headed by Grace, and she's like trying to figure out casting, who's going to be in what role. And, you know, the kids are all excited about being in it. And then the Herdman kids roll in and the entire group of kids are just terrified. They move out of the way. They huddle together. They're in fear. Like right. they all like vacate their seats and like do. crowd together at the side of the room. It is the literal parting of the Red Sea. The Herdman kids stroll in and all the rest of the kids are like, I am out. So Imogen, she's one of the spunky Herdman kids. She has like just loads of moxie and she demands, I'm going to play Mary on it. That's it. And after that, none of the kids want to be in the show at all. Like even Charlie, his own mom is directing the show. He's like, I'm not in it. I'm out mom. Well, because Imogene basically like casts her whole family in all the big parts. (laughs) Um, and all of the kids the are best terrified. Kind of nepotism. Right. <laughs> Our, all the kids are terrified to like go against them. And they cut to a scene of Imogene and Alice in the girls' bathroom. And like this scene, for whatever reason, in my young childhood mind, really stuck with me. Where it was like, scary. The threat that she gives her is that she's going to take a pussy willow and shove it so far down her ear that for the rest of her life, she is going to have a pussy willow bush growing out of her ear. And like, for whatever reason, like the intensity and the imagery of like how that threat was done by this little girl, I was just like, oh, she was very aggressive, very threatening. Right. And I think like I was definitely like a meek child and so the idea of like of course I would have gone along with that even if I really wanted the part I would have been like no (laughs) no I don't want a pussy willow shoved in my ear and the teacher Grace is like Alice don't you want to volunteer to be Mary and she's like nope Nope. Uh, but true to like kids being kids when she asks her later after class like why didn't you volunteer she's like I don't know you know so they didn't like They didn't tell because they were that scared, right? They just were like, I don't know. We didn't want to do it. So the moms, after this first pageant meeting, all the moms of these kids find out that the Herdmans are going to be in the show and they have opinions. They don't want their kids in it. If the Herdmans are going to be in it, the Herdmans shouldn't be allowed in the pageant. They're going to ruin it. They're terrible children. They need to go away. Right. And they do this great, like they split the screen into four parts, (laughs) but like, 
like little like triangles instead of squares of all the moms on the phone. And it's like, it's just so, I feel like that was such a thing. Like Like a phone tree. Right. And I I, I feel like that that maybe has persisted into, you know, that the moms are always like, did you hear this? (laughs) (laughs) So it's just a funny little way to show it. Well, Grace decides I'm going to make this the best Christmas pageant ever, even with the Herdmans, even with this rowdy bunch of kids, we're going to figure this out. We end up at a rehearsal and we find out that the Herdman kids don't know the Christmas story at all. And all the kids are shocked. I mean, they've grown up going to Sunday school. They know the story very well. They're in the pageant every year. And so Grace decides that she's going to read to them from the Bible. The Herdman kids are cute, though, because they're very inquisitive. And so the questions they ask are really funny, but they just they don't know. And so this is when Alice says, we're not supposed to talk about people being pregnant, especially not in church. Right. That is just, that's not something we talk about. And and then hearing the story, Imogen says, in regard to baby Jesus, they tied him up and put him in a feeding box. Where was child welfare? They're at our house every five minutes. (laughs) Right, right. Like there are a lot of like funny things, which if you think about it, I mean, if you never heard the story of Christmas, it would be kind of shocking yeah, to be like, like what do you what? mean there was no room at the end? She had to give birth, you know, in a, like a stable and, and put the baby in a like. In, in wadded clock. clothes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> what are the wadded up clothes? Yeah, what are the wadded up clothes? <laughs> then like the Herdman kids just like take the story and run with it. They and They do. Just... <laughs> they put their own special Herdman spin on it, which I love it because when they hear about the angel appearing. Gladys, one of the Herdman kids, is like, Shazam! It's just like Marvel Comics! <laughs> and then when they learn that King Herod is out to kill baby Jesus, they can't get over how King Herod is not in the play. What right, he's like... He's out, he's out to kill the baby Jesus and we don't talk about it. I mean, which is kind of a good point, right? Like, he's like the ultimate yes. bad guy. Yes! They decide that Joseph needs to get the shepherds and they need to get Herod. And then there's like total chaos in the Sunday school room. Right. But they're like, what can we call it? We'll call yes. it Revenge of Bethlehem. <laughs> Which is like really dark turn. This is where I'm like, you know what? This is a funny movie. They've decided this is now going to be like an action sequence. An action pageant. Yes, action pageant. (laughs) The best action pageant ever. Yes. So we cut to Imogen in the bathroom, standing on a toilet seat, leaning back on the tank. And she's smoking a cigar in the bathroom, you guys. These are no candy cigarettes. Right. This is like a cigar. And the whole bathroom is filled with cigar smoke. Filled with smoke. And so we get back to the rehearsal room and the Herdman kids find out that, you know, we need to figure out who's going to play baby Jesus. And Imogen, very matter-of-factly, I can get a baby. There's always two or three outside the supermarket. Like, right. I, can, I can grab you a baby. No problem. Well, so, but the interesting part of the story is that Eugene Slocum was supposed to be baby Jesus. But uh, because it was Imogen, the mother was like, nope, I changed my mind. So she can't hold my baby. Right. So Alice is very, like, indignant that, like, there has to be a, a fake baby Jesus because, you know, because if she Imogen. had been Mary it would have been different. But yeah, this line about the kids outside the supermarket, like, was that 
And maybe in the 70s, that was true when the original story was written. Like, I feel like by the 80s, stranger danger was a very real thing. It was a very real thing. Kids were on the back of milk cartons. I can't. I mean, maybe in small towns. You know, we were also in Southern California. So we cut ahead to a dress rehearsal. Right. And they're kind of like trying to get the kids. The things that stood out to me in this is that Grace says to Imogene, like, Mary would not have had earrings in her ears. Like, you really, you need to take the earrings out. And she's like, I can't take them out. I just got them pierced. And I'm thinking to myself, who pierced your ears? Right. And uh, Grace has the same thought. It turns out her sister Gladys did it. And then, Sounds sterile. Sounds really sterile. Yeah. And, and then they talk about the angel of the Lord proclaiming, you know, that a child named Jesus is born. Right. And she's like, she didn't even get to name her own baby. I would have <laughs> named him Bill. <laughs> so Our Lord like, and Savior, Bill. Bill. <laughs> So just a few little funny lines and just to realize like how these kids just know nothing about this like sacred play that they're putting on. There's smoke in the church during a dress rehearsal and Imogen was in the bathroom smoking a cigar. Right. I think Gladys was too at some point. Okay. At the same time, the church ladies were making applesauce cake, presumably for the pageant. They don't end up finding out the smoke was because of... The sort of busybody kitchen lady lady at the church smells the smoke and she checks her applesauce cake and it's fine. So then she like follows the scent and she goes into the bathroom and like all of the smoke just pours out of the bathroom. So she calls the fire department. Chaos ensues. By the time the fire department gets there, the applesauce cakes have burned. And so they chalk that up to the reason. But we really know that the Herdmans were the real reason. Although the thing that was hard for me about that is I was like, cigar smoke has a really distinct smell. Like nobody mistakes cigar smoke for like fire smoke. So that's how that happens. The Reverend tells Grace, you know, what? we're having nothing but problems with these Herdman kids. And he suggests that they cancel the pageant, but she doesn't want to. And she says it's going to be the best Christmas pageant ever. Well, and so here's where we're he does inter- offer to lie, though. Which Yes. So here's where we're introduced to, like, the sort of conflict of this story. Lucky feels strongly about it. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, what's more Christian? And what's more, like, what would Jesus do than, like, welcoming the poor children? Into the pageant. As an opportunity to learn about the Christmas story and be part of community and something positive. Like your family of faith, right? That you would embrace these children who have not had good influences in their lives. But he doesn't want to. He's like, uh, no, I don't, I don't know. Like, I don't know what Jesus would have done with the Herdmans. Yeah, <laughs> like it's gonna reflect poorly upon the church. And so I I think that we can just lie and tell everybody, like, there's just too much smoke damage. We can just cancel the pad. Right. And Grace will have none of it. Grace is like, no. And this is why her name is Grace. Right. Because she is holding up her good Christian values of like taking care of these children and, and embracing them, even though they have made her life very challenging. So we see the welfare, like social worker come to the Herdman house and leave a Christmas basket of food. Like there's a ham and some other food at the door, which was really nice. And it's the night of the program. Grace is a nervous mess. The church is very right. full. 
lots of people are coming. They want to see the Christmas pageant. Because like, even though they're not in the lead roles, all their kids are in it. So like, of course people are going to come. Of course they're going to be there. And we find out that Leroy, who's playing one of the wise men. One of the wise men. Yeah, he left. Right. They can't find him. They can't find him. And we see him on the street and he's holding what is to be his offering for the baby Jesus. And he's like upset and he tosses it in a bush. We're like, Leroy, what's what's wrong? Come back. Come back to the pageant, Leroy. But Alice is like, great. Now we're going to have to sing We Two Kings of Orient. <laughs> <laughs> and we see Mrs. Herdman come to the church. We do. To watch the program. Also looking like a Depression era mother. <laughs> Very much so. She shows up and she was there to see her kids. And this is probably one of the first times she's been in church. So, and this is the only hint that we have that, like, where maybe you're like, oh, okay, like maybe we should cut her some slack because she does make an effort to come see them. And then she obviously has to go back to work at the shoe factory after that. But it just gives her, like, humanizes her a yes. little bit to where you're uh, well, up to that point. Literal, like, she's only just absent. Time. We see her. Right. And even then it's for 20 seconds. Right. As she walks into the church. Yes. Right. So backstage, we see Imogen as Mary, dressed as Mary, and she's being really rough with the baby Jesus doll. Like she doesn't know how to hold the doll. She's being like really aggressive. She doesn't want to take her earrings out. And everyone's getting ready to go on stage. And then Imogen is alone. Oh, but before that, there's a good moment where Beth comes out to her parents and she's like, oh, Mary and Joseph look like refugees or something. Oh, yes. And the dad's like, well, actually, like, they were. they were refugees. So, which as a kid, I think that that was the first time that, like, that concept sort of sunk in for me. Like, it's so strange, right? Like, if you think about, like, how culturally, like, we view Mary and Joseph and everything, the idea that, like, in the beginning, there was no room at the end. Like, no one would take them in. And, like, what that really meant. And I think, so So I, I did learn something from this. From yeah, this. it was a sweet moment. And it, I think it helped reframe how Beth saw the Herdman children in the play. Right. And their contribution to it. And how this is kind of like a modern day version of the Christmas story. We see Imogen holding the baby and she looks up and spots a picture of Mary and Jesus on the wall. And Mary is looking at baby Jesus lovingly. And it's a really serene, beautiful photo. And then Imogen starts to hold baby Jesus in a different way. And she starts to look at this doll lovingly with real like compassion and grace and love in her heart. And it's a beautiful moment. Like I got teary eyed. It was beautiful. It is because it's like you watch something in her that's like, oh, this is different. This is not something that I've known. It's, I mean, it's a moment of grace, I would say. Yeah, it's, 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 it's not the little girl who's standing on a toilet seat smoking a cigar and yelling at everybody. She's having a tender moment. Right. And Beth comes upon her in this moment and is like stopped short. Like as soon as she sees it, she just sort of realizes that like this is this is almost like this sacred moment that she's witnessing. And it is. It's very beautiful. Oh, and she takes her earrings out in that moment. And so then they go up and they have their entrance. And they can't find Gladys, who is... One of the angels. The angel. Like She's the got angel. the opening line. Yeah. She, show, she shows up late and, and then she just starts shouting her lines. 
Well, she basically goes and like herds the shepherds on stage. Right. Like get, get up on stage, get up She's on like, stage. like, Hey, Hey you get up here, get up here. And everyone in the audience is kind of laughing because that's not really the way the story goes in people's minds, but she comes in. Right. Like, isn't she like unto you, a child is born. Like, yeah, get, get up, up there. here. Come on. And then Leroy, who was one of the wise men who was missing, came in late. And what does he bring? The baby Jesus? The Christmas ham from the welfare lady. That's his contribution to the Because you have to consider, like, that's a way more practical gift in the eyes of this child. (laughs) Frankincense and myrrh? Ham? It was very, very selfless gift. Like, this was their Christmas meal. And he gave the biggest, most important part of what little they had to the baby Jesus as an offering. Forget about the prop that he was given. He threw that away. He's had a change of heart. And now he wants to give something that's really important. Real and genuine. And he won't take it back. Grace tries to give it back to him afterwards. And he says, no, he won't take it back. And it was the first time he's ever actually given something selflessly. So we see the church lady crying when Silent Night plays. The the audience is getting emotional. Imogen cries on stage when she's holding the baby. And it is a beautiful moment. Right. The music's playing. And you can just see that, like, it really, the truth of this play and this moment um, in this story really sinks in for her. And she cries. And it's beautiful. And it really does make you think, perhaps when this really happened, they were disheveled. They weren't perfect. They weren't, you know, but like, it still created a beautiful moment. It did. And the church lady says to her friend after the show, this was the best one we've ever had. Something was different. And Beth, as she continues to narrate, says it did seem real as if it might have happened that way. Yeah. And it just reminds us all that like sometimes a little bit of realness, a little bit of gritty realness can be a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. And we find out that the Herdmans didn't stay for the party afterwards with hot chocolate and cookies. We see Grace and her family say like, oh, it's almost Christmas. It's like five minutes till midnight. And then we cut to the Herdman kids (laughs) running loose on the streets, (laughs) running loose on the streets at midnight, which you're like, what? And we see Gladys shout, Hey, onto you, a child is born. They're still rowdy spirited children, but now they have the true meaning of Christmas in their hearts. And that's what we see. And it's really infectious and beautiful. And that's the end of the movie. It's just a good movie. Like it just, I don't know. It's, I mean, it is funny at the end to be like, I don't think I realized this as a kid. I was like, it's midnight and these children are still roaming the streets. (laughs) Running amok and they don't have a Christmas ham. Right, right. But I mean. They were so happy and it was like, they didn't stay for the cookies and the sweets, which which was the original reason they showed up in church to begin with. They had gotten sustenance of a different sort. So they were still as, as wild as they ever were, but like in a different way and they'd learned something so and we all learned something we we did we all did and I like to think oh Beth says I don't think they took anything that night but then they cut to Imogene pulling the picture of Mary off the wall that had inspired her I missed her. that yeah she stole a picture from church she stole the picture that of Mary okay. that had, that's okay had, well and so and my thinking was like who knows how this moment transformed her like what it may have meant for her life going forward I mean if it were a true story about a real person that could have been a really transformative moment and so well they were at a really impressionable age so that's entirely possible because at this age this is where if you're going to take a wrong turn it's going to start to have some serious consequences 
consequences, right? The bigger the kid, the bigger the problems. So I like to think if there was ever to be a part two or a reboot that took us a little further, (laughs) we'd see into their future a little bit and see how this actually did create a change in them. It's just, it's a sweet story told in a kind of a unique way, right? Like, I don't know. I just thought that it was fun and I loved it so much as a kid. So I was really happy to go back and watch it and find that it still was a really fun story and it didn't feel too hokey or too, I don't know. Like, I mean, it was hokey, but. Well, and it was nice to see something that it didn't have bad words in it. And there was nothing that I felt like, oh, my kids can't see this. They, I would have to shield their eyes or skip ahead or anything like because it was made for TV. It's not too long. It gets right down to the point. There's not a lot of fluff in it. And it's just right. really entertaining because it's focused on the kids. And yeah, it's just, I, I'm so glad that you agreed to do this because I know when I brought it up, like I was like, we have to do this. And you were like, uh... <laughs> Hey, I enjoyed it. It was a great watch. And I really do encourage you, even if you just have it playing in the background while you're decorating a tree or something, it's a fun thing to have on. It was fun trip down Christmas memory lane. In keeping with the spirit of the holiday season, next week we bring you another holiday classic. Die Die hard. Because nothing says Merry Christmas like yippee-ki-yay, mother Thanks so much for joining us. If you can't wait to hear more, please subscribe so that you never miss an episode. And because we're newbies in this space, if you'd leave us a rating and review wherever you listen, it would mean everything. You can find us on social media on Instagram and Facebook at the Untitled Gen X Podcast. We hope you keep in touch, beautiful people. Bye. Bye.